Good morning, Jason. How are you this morning? It is a lovely Friday, as always. It's time for some dulcet tones, man. There it's, we go. I'm setting the morning off right. We uh, we are glad you're joining us. You are listening to WMNF in Tampa. Uh, you can hear us either 88.5 on your FM dial or uh, tune in at WMNF.org and find us at Down and Dirty. We're here every Friday morning at 10 in the morning. You can also call us a little bit later. We're going to get started on the show, but a little bit later, give us a call. Give us your questions. Give us your comments. 813-239-9663. Um, and we definitely want to hear from you. I'm not going to be doing... Uh, emails and that sort of thing. Mario Nunez, our wonderful co-host, is not here today. Sadly, he is at a funeral, um, and he couldn't join us today. But we're going to wing it alone. I've got sitting here with me uh, our board operator and fantastic uh, human being, Jason Marlowe. Thank, uh, happy to be here. Uh, for, for today, John Dinkford will be playing the part of Mario Nunez. He, he is equipped with a beret. <laughs> I am you, I'm not equipped with Mar Mario's dynamic personality, though. And uh, we also have Lynn Marvin Dingfelder, my beautiful and talented bride. Can you hear us, Lynn? I can hear you loud and clear, sweetie. All right. You're a little low on your volume, honey. Oh, dear. Yeah. You better teach me the, the ropes here. There man. we go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lynn is taking your calls today, 813-239-9663. And she's also going to be jumping in and helping us with the show. Give a little balance, a little female balance to this testosterone club. <laughs> yeah, it's always, always, uh -huh. always. Uh -huh. So without further uh, delay, I'm going to introduce uh, our guest today and, um, and remind everybody that tomorrow, the 11th of November, is Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. All weekend they're celebrating all over. It's, it's uh, something very special. Right. Starting today... Uh, um, with a federal holiday, hopefully everybody's off and, and commemorating this important day, which we'll be talking about in a minute, and uh, with our guests. And we are so honored to have two fantastic guests today representing our military and also our community in very positive ways. Uh, Dwight, you seem to be a bit tangled up with yeah. the microphone here, but I'm going to start with you. This is uh, Command Sergeant Major Dwight Brown. Uh, Dwight served in, in the U.S. military for 32 years, rose all the way up uh, to Command Sergeant Major, which is tremendous uh, rise. Ended up as the, uh, what did you tell me, at CENTCOM? I was a Command Sergeant Major U.S. Central Command out at McDill Air Force Base. I retired in 05, went out on 04, but retired in 05. And how many, how many service people and, and others underneath you? at that point when you retired. And the headquarters itself is probably about five, 6,000. Across the theater of operation that represents every soldier that happened to be deployed from the different branches. Unbelievable. Great job, great thank job. Thank you for your service, thank and you, you. And you told me you were out and, and deployed, uh, your unit or yourself, you were deployed in, in numerous uh, uh, theaters of combat. I've participated in all operations that the U.S. Army participated in from Desert Storm up until the final ones when I retired in 04. Fantastic. And, of course, CENTCOM covers a huge amount of geography. The Middle East, Central Asia, and uh, at that time, East Africa. Now East Africa falls under Africa since they created the new command. Mm -hmm. And your service has not stopped. You're now serving in, in what another thing that we're going to talk about in a minute, which is uh, the Veterans Treatment Program. 
I take great pride in serving as a mentor in the Veterans Treatment Court under Judge Shante. Uh, it's a court that's designed to kind of help redirect some of the service members that have found themselves wandering off course after they got out of the military. Absolutely. And speaking of Judge Michael S. Shante, what's the S stand for, Michael? J, J, the S stands for Shante, but the middle initial oh, is J. J. Me. Yeah. Michael J. There you go. J for Joseph. J for Joseph. Uh, you, have, you have an uncle, Joseph, I believe. I, I have many, many uncles, a uh, big Italian family. <laughs> a wonderful family, by the way. Well, thank you. That's kind. <laughs> they are. Um, all right. In all due seriousness, let's give him his due. Um, Michael is a colonel in the United States Army, um, still serving, 25 years and going strong. Wow. Um, he's also a circuit court judge here in Hillsburg County. Um, and, uh, Michael, tell us a little bit more about your service. We know that we were all rather concerned and, and scared a little bit when you were deployed overseas, but, uh, tell, tell us about your longstanding service. Well, thank you, John. And, and first, let me just say to your listening audience, it's a pleasure to be here. I, on behalf of the Sergeant Major myself, we thank you and Jason and Lynn for inviting us here. Uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to talk about veterans and issues uh, that uh, that they face. Um, but yeah, I've been serving uh, for many years, proud of my service as we all are. There, what comes with that service are sacrifices, right? And uh, presiding over Veterans Treatment Court, we're able in a collaborative problem-solving approach, therapeutic environment, able to help veterans who struggle Sergeant Major and myself and so many others, you know, we've had our own experiences. And, uh, you know, you don't bring uh, the same things, you know, that you're deployed with when you come back home. You, know, you leave a little bit of yourself in that deployed environment. And, mm. um, you know, you bring some of that deployed environment come, you know, back home with you. And, and we see it. We've experienced it. Uh, I know I can speak for myself, uh, as you alluded to. You know, going off to Iraq with Third Infantry uh, back in 2003. Um, you know, it was a it was a it was a challenging time for our nation and for the, the people over overseas and for our soldiers, service members, and uh, you know, we worked together. We worked collaboratively, collaboratively in uniform to solve problems, and we uh, apply that same approach to our treatment court to help veterans, you know, in need. Absolutely. And we're going to get deep into that treatment court in a couple of minutes. Again, if you're listening, it's WMNF.org, uh, uh, WMNF Tampa, 88.5. You can call us in about 10, 10 15 minutes at 813-239-9663 with your questions for Judge Shanti and Sergeant Major Brown. Um, or your experience. I'd like to hear people's experience and other veterans. I'd love to hear their voices, uh, both men and women who have served. We'd, we'd love to honor you today on the show. Absolutely. And Lenny, speaking of honoring, um, let's honor Michael, Judge Shanti's father. Uh, how, do we, how did you fe first meet that crowd? Um, I think, let's see, it must have been through politics. And uh, it was, I think it was Roland Montega that introduced me to Mike Shanti Sr., who I uh, can say even in front of my husband that I love tremendously. And uh, Mike was terrific, and and I met a young Michael at that time. Do you remember that? You were you were were you in college or law school? When I, we first I, met? I was in college. Uh -huh. Yeah, when we first met, it's been many many years <laughs> oh, ago. Dear. And and if I may, I want to give credit to you know to Lynn for that wonderful tribute uh, 
uh, that she uh, prepared with so many others about the La Gazetta, the history of the La Gazetta, and and my uncle Roland. So that just yes, shows you how you. how close our community is. Roland Mantega, you know, is is family. So uh, thank you, Lynn, for bringing. Uh, such a beautiful tribute to uh, the impact that the Mantega family oh, had. Thank you for community. saying that. Thank you. And uh, she, it was an honor. And uh, Judge Shanti, uh, Lynn was with Kathy Castor, Congresswoman Castor, last night, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how they are going to take that documentary and enter it into the Library of Congress for oh. what for, an honor, huh? Forever immortalized. Yep, the family will be saved forever. And uh, uh, how wonderful to be able to hear from three generations in that documentary. It was it was a joy doing that piece. It's probably uh, one of my very favorites. So thank you, and obviously thank you to Congresswoman. We're going to have a little uh, celebration in the spring, and we're going to go up and and have that ceremony to enter it into the Library of Congress, which to me is equivalent to getting an Emmy or an Oscar or something like that. It's pretty special. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, thanks, guys, for coming. Thanks for your service. Um, I've always been super proud of my dad, um, who we just lost uh, three years ago, for his service. He was also in the Army, Army Artillery. And um, and and he was he was always so, so, so proud uh, of, of his service. He talked about it regularly. Uh, he had to get out. He wanted to stay in, and we all know he would have made would colonel have or general sure. uh, if he had stayed in because he was that kind of guy. Everybody loved him. He was always the head of his. He was the head of his high school ROTC. He was the head of his his college ROTC, and, and we know he would have gone a long way. But my mother got polio. And he had to get out to take care of uh, uh, two and a half children. I was I, the half. I think I think you <laughs> learned. I think you learned leadership from him, John. I think all the kids. Uh, he, he and, just and, 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 pu- and public service, community service, mm-hmm. public service. Uh, he believed in service, and uh, and I know that came from uh, from his military background. Um, but when I graduated high school, it really wasn't an option. They were mustering everybody out of the service in 1974 when I graduated because Vietnam was just ending and they stopped the draft and they were shutting down the military tremendously. As a matter of fact, it's kind of, I was just thinking about that on the way over. It's kind of sad uh, because when, they, when the guys and women, mostly guys, were coming back from Vietnam, they weren't treated well. I mean, they, they were not treated well. And Lenny, I, I know you... You saw that firsthand. Well, I had I had friends in high school going over, and and, and we lost them. M- Michael, what what do you uh, remember about that time period, and and how have things changed from a social impact in terms of uh, the uh, layperson's acceptance or or uh, respect for military? Have you seen a change? Well, so let me ask, answer the first part of that question. Um, early on, I, mean, I was born in '68, so I was very young. But my my uncle Jim was an F four Phantom pilot, mm. and uh, he eventually got out of the Air Force, uh, flew for Delta and Eastern Airlines, and he. My first experience was seeing all of his photos at their house when I would go over to visit, and he didn't like to talk about it. Mm. Uh, I know from my aunt, um, he. You know, flew many sorties of napalm, and the impact of that weighed heavy on him, as it wow. did many of the the service members um, at that time. So, uh, just knowing that it was a, a responsibility uh, to our country to serve, and knowing that that service comes with consequences, and I saw it with my uncle Jim, um, but it didn't stop me from serving. And I'm certain Sergeant Major's got his own story, but. You know, I just felt a calling, you know, in the Cub Scouts. You know, I was always really kind of engaged. I liked that discipline and the structure of it. And 
Uh, I remember as a young professional, I told my father, I didn't ask, I told him, I said, hey, by the way, uh, I just joined the United States Army today. And uh, my father in his, you know, sense of humor and joking way, and while he was very proud, he's like, hey, boy, you know, Italians don't do things well and fighting wars ain't one of them. So, <laughs> so yeah, just I can hear him saying that. That's, yeah, that's but, savage. Yeah, but it was in his, you know, sense of humor because I know he was extremely proud. So anyway. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of tough love uh, for Michael <laughs> Sr. Yeah. A, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm his only son, and, you know, he was extremely proud. He came up yes, when I was, was graduate from basic training and, you know, just was beaming with pride. So, yeah. Good, good for him. And Dwight, uh, uh, Colonel, excuse me, Sergeant Major, um, what, what's your recollection back back in those days? And you might even have a few years on, on Judge Shanti. I do, because I went, I joined the military in 1973. Mm -hmm. uh, when I joined, I was program to go to Vietnam, me and a friend of mine, but they stopped sending for, uh, soldiers to Vietnam while we were in basic training. Mm. Uh, probably fortunate that that happened. Yes, indeed. But uh, the climate in the military was completely different than, I'll digress to say, but the character of our nation has really departed from that. And the way we celebrate our armed forces now is something remarkable. Uh, we just honor the service members. But back to the Vietnam era, mm -hmm. um, my cousins and a couple of uh, my relatives around the community and friends around the community went to Vietnam. And when they returned back, I remember distinctively their frustration about how much they had given in Vietnam to get back home and be denigrated the way they were, yeah. mm -hmm. called baby killers. And they just did, weren't welcomed back with the sense of pride that we welcome our service well, you know, back now. Our audience is all too aware, um, of course, that Vietnam probably was the very first television war. And it brought it into our living rooms. Uh, and and I think that the reaction to the public, it just seems, looking back now, it seems almost imbalanced, you know, and just in terms of the shock. And and then what, what the service people face, as you said, when they came home is um, really sad, really terrible, because I, and I think you address this all the time in terms of it's hard enough coming home after living that life, which none of us lay people can really understand that, that term in the trenches. Um, can you talk about what it's like and, and were there scary times for either of you? Sergeant Major, if you want to take the lead, I'll follow. Yeah. Uh where I was not in Vietnam, I participated in, as I said earlier, conflicts uh, from Desert Storm up until now. And I guess my first experience where it became real to me what I committed to serve, uh, to do as a service, was in uh, Desert Storm, uh, in a compound waiting to deploy across the pipeline into Iraq. And a scud uh, was exploded over the base camp we was at. And there I was a young first sergeant in my probably late 30s at the time, responsible for about 340 soldiers. Wow. And uh, it became very real to me then that I was responsible for getting those youngsters back home to their families. Uh, and it became very surreal at that moment. And as I progressed on, I could probably talk about experiences in Somalia and other places, <laughs> but there were very real situations that I was involved in that uh, makes it very real the commitment that our service members yeah, and you bring up, and you bring up a good point because 
you know, I, I was thinking we were just going to be talking about how you were feeling personally, but here you had responsibility for so many others and kids, really. I mean, right. 18, 19 year old kids who are probably just scared to death. And sitting where I sit now, I kind of look back on myself as just being a kid at the time yeah. responsible for them. Because you were probably all my, 25 or something. I was something. in my early, mid 30s, probably yeah. at that time. Absolutely. Uh, but it's a tremendous responsibility we take on. And as leaders, we do have that added responsibility to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, but also those that are placed under us to serve in those capacities, to get them home, keep them protected, trained and ready for combat. And uh, our goal when we deploy is to bring every person back that we deploy with. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, but that's what we thrive for. And Judge Shanti, um, as I recall, were you Fallujah? Or? Yeah, I've had multiple <laughs> overseas tours of duty in Iraq uh, and Afghanistan. And so when I first deployed, it was, a, I'm a res I was a reservist, right, with the U.S. Army Reserves prosecuting, you know, at the state attorney's office. And, and I was against you as a public uh, defender. Right. We, we, used to, to, we, we used to butt heads a little bit. And I was just telling Dwight, I said, Michael never gave an inch. I could get, I could get, I could get offers from, from uh, other prosecutors. Michael never gave an inch. Oh, John, <laughs> we were gladiators in the courtroom. Oh, and with all, you know, it was... Judge Barbas, yeah, just retired. Yeah, we had uh, uh, Judge uh, Holloway yep. and uh, Judge Tharp as well. So really good memories for me. Um, and I enjoyed working with you in many capacities, John. So it's been a pleasure all these many years. Um, it really has. And But to, to the question that was posed, um, you know, I, when I left the prosecutors, I, I was deployed. I was called up as any other reservist sure. would be. Um, and, you know, when you take that oath uh, to uphold and defend the Constitution and to, you know, fight and win your nation's wars, you know, that doesn't really resonate with many folks because not everybody actually sees combat. Right. Um, you know, we serve in many different capacities, whether it's combat arms or in some form of support. Mm -hmm. um, but when I deployed with 3rd Infantry, we were all soldiers. Now, while I have a military intelligence background, I have a judge advocate background, with 3rd Infantry in 2003, when we were crossing the berm, we were all soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so we were fighting our way up and uh, taking casualties um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, capturing uh, those Iraqi forces, Republican Guard and Fedeen forces, their special forces that were capitulating, surrendering. And so as time went on... Um, you know, as Sergeant Major pointed out, you know, you're looking out for your battle buddies mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're losing battle buddies along mm -hmm. that way. Uh, uh, I remember the story of uh, Sergeant First Class Smith, who is recently, he went to Tampa Bay Tech and he was recently recognized. I was reading the newspaper or online rather. Uh, he was part of 3rd Infantry Division and he was in Baghdad International Airport and we were trying to secure Baghdad. We were on the outskirts trying to make our way in, but he was one of the, uh, on the tip of the spear with 3rd Infantry. You know, and and the gallantry, the the bravery that he demonstrated, uh, mm -hmm. just a young young man from from Tampa, Florida, mm -hmm. who at that time you know gave his life to save others, and and Sergeant Major, myself, we all would. In fact, that's some of the difficulties that we face, and myself personally, I had some soldiers that didn't make it home. They were fathers, they were husbands, you know, and and I wasn't. And it was an IED attack. Not to get into all the details, but you know, I would have given anything to have been sitting in the 
you know, that vehicle that got hit with the IED so that no. they would have had a chance to come back home to see their children, right? And that leads to guilt, survivor's right? guilt. Survivor, yeah, it's real. Uh, yeah. And in fact, Sergeant Major and I can attest that in our courtroom, in Veterans Treatment Court, there are plenty who struggle with that very thing. Uh, I also want to tie in the fact that the, 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 uh, the irony is Colonel Reyes, Colonel DJ Reyes, who is the mentor, the head of the Mentor Corps, uh, responsible for establishing the Mentor Corps, and we can get into more detail later. He was in Iraq at the very same time. He was with General Petraeus at, with 101st when General Petraeus was the two-star general at the time, heading the 101st Airborne. And Colonel Reyes and I were walking the same dirt. We were, wow. in the, we were in the same tactical operations cells, working the same um, issues, just didn't know each other. Wow. And here, 20 some odd years later, we find ourselves working a different battlefield with Sergeant Major and so many others, fighting that enemy now that's within the soldiers. Let, and let, let's talk about Veterans Court, uh, go back a little bit with the history. Um, I think it's been around, what, about 15 or more years? Well, well yeah, it's been around for a while, yeah. uh, 10 years to be exact. Okay. In fact, October this year became 10 years, and I would like to at least recognize uh, Judge Russell up in Buffalo. And it's amazing what, what one idea, you know, the idea, an idea can conquer mountains. Hmm. And it was Judge Russell who... And was he a veteran? He was not. Oh. It was a county, he was a county court judge, but yes. he was seeing military members coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan that were experiencing the same difficulties, substance use disorders, mental health, homelessness, picking up criminal charges, at least at the misdemeanor level, and said, we got to do something. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it was that idea that has spread across the country and certainly here in Hillsborough County. We've been around for 10 years, and I would credit um, uh, Colonel Reyes and Judge Richard Weiss. He was a colleague of mine. We, he and I served in the military for many years together. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Weiss, who's now retired, he, he had the idea in 2008 strike that, 2013, mm -hmm. to, um, to establish our own Veterans Treatment Court. He worked with Colonel Reyes. He worked with your former colleague, uh, City Councilman Luis Vieira, right. to help establish uh, our Veterans Treatment Court. It was a misdemeanor court. They had about 10 veterans they were helping at the time. And long story short, over the course of 10 years, we've grown it into a national model. So I say that because... Isn't United, that wonderful? Yep. United States Congress, it is. I mean, we're all very proud because it's your court too. You know, I just preside over it. But in 2019, the United States Congress with Kathy Castor, with Congressman um, Charlie yeah. Crist, mm -hmm. they passed the 2019 VTC, Veterans Treatment Court Coordination Act, which provided 30 to upwards of $80 million across the country nice. to establish veteran treatment courts throughout the nation and they used Hillsborough County or the 13th Judicial Circuit's VTC uh, as the national model to follow. Wow. Uh, Michael, how is it determined uh, who goes into your courtroom? Who uh, how is it? Yeah, who, how is it weeded out so that you know that this is a veteran who needs your help and your understanding? Len, that's a great question. So prior to 2021, uh, the court... Uh, I and others like me uh, that presided made those determinations as a two-prong approach. There's statutory requirements that I can get into, but basically you have to be determined, one, eligible to participate, and we can get into the details in a moment, and then whether or not out of public safety you were going to be admitted into the program. Uh, but in 2021, the legislature changed the law, and they put that responsibility on all of our circuit um, uh, state attorneys. So today, the state attorney makes the decision as to who is eligible and whether or not in a balancing uh, approach 
to public safety and the needs to service the veteran, uh, whether or not that veteran is going to be eligible. That very same law also expanded from honorably serving veterans Mm -hmm. to now any characterization of service. So if you get out of the military... Yeah, that, that's that's progress because I I was reading and I recall because I served uh, over there with you guys um, that it used to just be honorable and I thought to myself well you know what if a guy's got a problem and he gets dishonorable discharge he still has that problem absolutely and Sergeant Major and all of his many years of experience as with mine we've seen that mm-hmm. where individuals who have a drug addiction they have a, a psychological problem. Um, it resulted from military service, right. but yet the disrespect or they, they tested uh, positive on a drug screen, they get discharged, whether it's other than honorable discharge or a dishonorable discharge, they're not eligible for VA benefits. Right. Mm. And the law prior to 2021, you couldn't participate in our program. And I think many wisely so saw the disservice to that. And so they expanded. So now we receive they may not be eligible for VA services, but that's okay. We have a wonderful community and a county commission that provide resources that will allow this court to service those veterans who are not eligible for VA services. Sure. So, Lenny, great question. So now a, a man or a woman a service person is, is in the program. Um, tell us a little bit more about what happens next. Uh, I think I read somewhere five five levels of treatment and... That's how to sort of thing. So we, the reason why we have been recognized nationally as the model problem-solving court is over time, um, we've been able to incorporate all of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals best practices for drug treatment courts and mental health courts. Um, part of that is a phased approach uh, based on conditions. While there is a time component 60 days of a minimum. And again, that's a national standard. It's based on many years of studies as to how long someone should be in a phase. What are those phase benchmarks to achieve? And so we apply that to our veterans. Now, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the significance of our program incorporates mentors. Absolutely. And that is what Sergeant Major represents, not just his service, but he is an integral part any uh-huh. given day, I'd come into that courtroom, I'd look over to the right-hand side, and there's a bench of at least a dozen or so mentors wear, proudly wearing their blue uh, shirt. Uh, what do they call these shirts? Uh, beautiful beautiful blue shirts. shirts. Shirts of blue, and that is their uniform. And I'll let Sergeant Major speak, but let me at least frame it for your listening yeah. audience. Good, that good. Um, uh, The Mentor Corps, our program would be no different, generally speaking, than any other drug treatment or mental health court. What makes it so special and so unique, not only are we assisting veterans, but their ability to connect with the mentors. And these are all honorably serving or have prior service veterans like Sergeant Major who have retired. They're moving on in their civilian careers and they come back to serve, volunteer their time, their talent, their treasure to help these veterans. And they bring a web and network of capabilities And I want Sergeant Major to elaborate on that because that's what really helps these veterans. Yes, sir. Uh, Absolutely. I think, like the judge says, that's kind of our secret sauce for our court is the uh, mentor program. Uh, Those individuals that volunteer to be mentors, number one, we we don't get paid for it. There's no salary that comes with it. We do it purely out of passion and love for uh, not leaving any uh, service member behind. Um, we have a very stringent selection process for the uh, 
individuals that, that are accepted into our mentor program. Uh, interesting enough, there was a retired Navy cap, Captain SEAL that created our training program for the um, mentor hmm. selection process. I was going to ask you if you guys discriminate <laughs> against Navy guys, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We could, we bleed only purple. on the only on the football field. <laughs> That's right <laughs> on the football field. <clears throat> but um, those those mentors bring uh, passion, love uh, for the their fellow veterans to the table, uh, and the, just by nature of our service, oftentimes the veterans that appear in before the veterans treatment court, the very thing that's gotten them there is that they were not capable of opening up, didn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. opening up of the experiences that led them to whatever their infractions were. Is it shame or is it fear, Sergeant Major? And and also, how long do you stay with them? Is it like um, AA or something? How long do you stay with these people who need your guidance? And, did you, and do you continue with them after they've graduated from the program? Right. That, to your first question, uh, is it because of fear? I don't think it's so much of fears, but because of the nature of our, of our occupation as service members, mm-hmm. we take very uh, great pride in ba- being able to accomplish everything sure. and being able to put the world on our shoulder and being able to conquer it. So then when we find those demons are bigger than what we have been experienced, it's a sense of pride. It's difficult for us to open up and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's why many of them find themselves in the system because they feel trapped and don't have an outlet of where they can uh, go and really discuss it or they don't feel comfortable don't in feel discussing safe. it. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where the mentors really come in, I think, and the judge can... Uh, and you guys really break the ice sort of one-on-one, to, and which will help them as they go into the different drug treatment, mental health, uh, alcohol treatment, right? Absolutely. They see us akin to them. We walk the same path they walk. We've experienced the same experience if they... Mm-hmm. Experienced, yeah, and and so again for your audience, you know, the the mentors represent every branch of service, even DOD civilians. Um, they sixty percent of our mentors have had combat experience, and um, they bring that from the Vietnam era mm. to Iraq, Afghanistan. So to Sergeant Major's point, they've they've walked in the same boots that these mm-hmm. veterans have walked in, and when a veteran goes to visit with a VA uh, therapist, counselor, medical professional, oftentimes there's some resistance. You know, you can't relate to me. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen what I have seen. Mm-hmm. Well, in Veterans Treatment Court, you have a judge who has walked in the same dirt, mm-hmm. experienced the same hardship, lost the same buddies. Mm-hmm. The mentors have done the same. And so these veterans who are a little closed, you know, they've been isolated, self-isolated. Skeptical, cynical. Yeah, we try to create this therapeutic uh, healing environment, rehabilitative environment. I don't punish. That is, this is not a courtroom of punishment, not a courtroom of incarceration, and everyone knows it. Hmm. We're there to heal. As a Sergeant Major pointed out, we bring a lot of love to them, a lot of compassion, a lot of grace and mercy trying to break down those traditional barriers kind of alluding to the you know to the question that was asked what's the you know how you know how do they react well 
they are standoffish and, you know, and appearing in front of a judge in a criminal courtroom, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know what to expect. Sure. These cases were transferred in from all divisions, felony divisions, misdemeanor divisions, where they were looking they could at... could have been facing five or 15 years. A- absolutely. Yep. And so they come into our courtroom with that same sense of, okay, I don't really know what to expect. And then the light shines and that collaboration between state and defense between the VA and corrections and uh, with the mentors standing, their battle buddies standing right by their side, a judge who has walked in their shoes and totally gets it. Yeah. Yeah. So let me give a little station ID for one second for those of you who are just turning in. You're listening to WMNF 88.5, WMNF.org. And uh, we are honored today uh, in honor of Veterans Day, which is tomorrow to have uh, uh, Sergeant Major Dwight Brown, Command Sergeant Major from the U.S. Army, retired, uh, who's a one of the leaders of the mentor program uh, for Veterans Treatment Court here in Hillsborough County. And we're also thrilled also to have our good friend, uh, uh, Colonel Michael Shanti, Judge Michael Shanti, uh, who is the judge, presiding judge for, what, six years now? Seven. Seven yeah, years. The ten. Yeah. Right. Um, in uh, T- Tampa, Hillsborough County's Veteran Treatment Court. Um, Johnny, we have someone, a caller, good. who has a question. But before we go to uh, the caller, and thank you, sir, for being so patient. I, I do have a question, uh, Michael. Can you, do you have uh, off the top of your head um, any stats or how many people have been through your court, have been helped? And at, success rate. And, yeah. and also, yes, do, do you see them come back? So um, to your question, we are one of the most successful programs in, in the state, and I would argue in the country. Uh, but uh, of course. We've had over a 1,000 graduates. We just graduated three uh, veterans yesterday, but we've had in the 10 years, seven of which I've overseen, we have... What does that mean to graduate them? I don't understand Oh, the ceremony. Well, so you have successfully, uh, you've been able to maintain sobriety. Uh, if, if substance use disorders were an issue, if mental health issues, uh, is an issue or was an issue, you are actively incorporating uh, best practices to um, to resolve conflict, mm. to deal with anger, um, just a whole host of issues that contribute to... Stand, stand on your meds, go into therapy. Yep. Yep, all yep, yep. that. So, so, and then, of course, housing stability, and mm-hmm. that's where the mentors come in because the court can't provide for housing, uh, job applications, interview skills, uh, clothing for these veterans, as I said, transportation. So we're looking to all the second and third order effects that are contributing to a veteran's um, isolation, detachment, depression, uh, the the homelessness, which leads to suicidal, you know, suicidal ideations, mm. um, the anger, which leads to domestic violence, we try to overcome uh, the drug abuse. So it, what it means to graduate is because you have transformed yourself. You're no longer in that criminal thinking mindset. Mm. You are. We're reestablishing hope for them, and then we just kind of we. I monitor their progress as they advance through the phases to the point that culminates with a graduation and charges being dismissed. Wow. And I think, they, as I recall, they come in, is it monthly or every other month? Best practices every two to three weeks. And that's okay. what we do. We have them coming in pretty frequently and they all come in. They're all like their own little platoon, mm. all supporting each other. Mm. Their mentors are there, their battle buddies. And I know that, you know, John, you have uh, witnessed our VTC. And to the extent uh, I would invite any of your listeners to come. It's your court. 
I just have the honor of presiding over it, but it's open to the public. And while Sergeant Major and I can describe it, you really have to see it to see how powerful it is and yep. and the emotion that it, 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 it evokes from all of us, myself included. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like a documentary to me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Just um, <laughs> I want to give a few shout-outs shout to some other folks in the community. Um, I think uh, Judge Manny Menendez, Chief Judge, uh, was, was involved when it first got started. Um, Julie Holt, of course, with the Public Defender's Office <clears throat> and various state attorneys along the way. Um, Julie would send me and send several of us in there. We weren't real active because there's not a lot for a PD to do, but um, but we also, you know, as public defenders would work, you know, with the uh, client and make sure that they try and stay on track. And I did that. I, got, I had the honor to do that for a couple of months with you. If I may, uh, not just Julie and, and Susie Lopez and before her, Andrew Warren and our chief, but Sheriff Cronister, because yes. many of these veterans, um, their first contact with a, uh, a therapeutic environment starts with the sheriff. Mm-hmm. He's created a veterans pod. Um, really? over, over at the jail, we have visited uh, that. I've visited it on uh, more than one occasion. Uh, he has a drug treatment program that is state certified, court approved. It's as good as, if not better than many or most of the programs that are outside of the jail. Um, and we can take advantage of that for these veterans. He's got a vocational rehab training within the jail. That is that's unheard of for a sheriff. And don't for necessarily see it in Polk County. <laughs> I'm, we don't even have to answer that, Judge. Hey, well, I'm just so proud. Brady Judd has entered the chat. I, I am just so proud of our sheriff, of our community, yeah. from Julie Holt, who has contributed. Her assistant public defenders are the best around. And I'm so we are so blessed. We really are. Because Julie has committed her resources to making this program great. Because it's not, it's Everybody that's coming to bear, and Miss Lopez, who's contributed her resources, the VA, Absolutely. the clerk's office, the probation, uh, and you know, it's just it's, a wonderful. Uh, just like the military, it's a team effort. All right, Lenny, you got a call? Yeah, we've got two calls. Um, first, let me take Jimmy, who just called. He's calling from St. Pete, and he has a very, uh, a very good question. Hold on, let's see if I can do this now. All right, Jimmy. Okay, should be on the air. Jimmy, you there? Yes, ma'am. Okay, you're on the air with us on Down and Dirty. Why don't you ask your questions, sir? And thank you for your service. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so uh, I'm a veteran, but I haven't been arrested or anything. I No, but my doctor wants me to stop drinking and smoking pot. And I just wanted to know the name of your organization. Maybe I can, I don't know if you have to be arrested. Well, Jimmy, your, your question um, there's all you can always go to the VA. All right, if you're eligible, if you were discharged under honorable conditions, and even if you were not, you can always apply for uh, an exception to policy because they will consider that as well. But if your doctor is recommending that you you explore counseling, you can go to the Suds Clinic. Uh, that's the substance use disorder clinic that the VA has on 46th Street. You don't have to have committed a crime. You can certainly just present as a veteran to the Suds Clinic. You get there at 0745, Monday through Friday, and they'll be more than happy to listen and offer, you know, thoughts to, uh, you know, that will help lead you, you know, uh, uh, you know to healthier ways 
as opposed to seeking out you know, alcohol and any other substance that might be contributing to isolation and depression and suicidal ideations because both of those substances, um, the, the statistics oh, yeah. bear it out. nowhere because, you know, I come home and I drink and yeah, I, but, don't, I just sit there well, by myself. Well, Jimmy, we're, you, you know, you can always come to our court. You can come and just watch, Jimmy. You, you don't can have- see the success of other folks just like you. That's it. And, and you know, it takes some, takes work, I'm sure, hard work, right, Michael? That does, Jimmy. And I just want you to know, you don't, in order to get into our program formally, well, you have to have been charged with a crime, but you, you can come visit. You're over in St. Pete. Come on over to Hillsborough County. Come to our Veterans Treatment Court. Um, I'll be, I'd love to meet you. And it, we have VJOs, veteran, veteran Justice Outreach Coordinators. They work for the VA. They're assigned to our courtroom. But I don't want you to have to wait. If you, if you want to reach out, if you, you feel like you need to reach out, Monday morning, go, go over to Suds, okay? They're so warm and okay. welcoming. We work with them all the time, Jimmy. And you can come visit us in court. I'd be, it'd be a pleasure to shake your hand and meet you. You can sit in court. You can watch. You don't have to be a part of our formal program, okay? You can tell, and when you go in, tell the bailiff that Judge Shanti invited you personally. That's it. That's it. And we appreciate your calling, and we appreciate your service. We do have some other calls, gentlemen, if you don't mind taking them. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, mm-hmm. Shanti, thank you. Be, You're welcome. Be well, Jimmy. Um, we have DeAndre, who's been very patient um, and waiting. He, it's a little a different a topic, but but. A real good question that he has for you guys. So hold on. And DeAndre, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Are you still there, hon? Yes. I actually want to thank uh, WMNF for hosting this uh, program today and producing for it. And as well, all the participants. And, and I want to thank them for their service. Um, my question is to do about uh, veterans who might still be around who were of the Jim Crow and Civil Rights era, I feel like it's not very well understood. Some of them experienced some things in, uh, at home before going off, coming back with some things like intensified. Um, but uh, uh, as far as for their return, um, I have family who were a part of the Triple Six in World War II. I have family who were in different parts of uh, theaters as far as for North Korea. Uh, one was under uh, uh, Patton Jr., I think it were, and then Vietnam um, uh, veterans in my family, some of whom, all, uh, some number of them have passed away. Um, but particularly for those still here that were children during the time of the Jim Crow and um, civil rights era, they had compound issues that were very systemic. And I'm curious, uh, do you have uh, um, the, the one person, he's a Marine, he perseveres, he doesn't ask for handouts. I think you gentlemen understand the type. He will not and he will fight, you know, with whatever tools, within whatever circumstances he has available to him. He's a very patient and methodical person. But he has things lingering over him from years ago that were compromised due to, again, some biases and systemic issues. I'm curious to know by chance. Are you guys connected to or also are uh, producing a program that addresses uh, persons who were afflicted at home um, by matters that um, you uh, remarked on earlier, um, but that were also, again, compounded by, you know, being, uh, you know, a person of color in the Jim Crow 
and civil rights era. What a great uh, question God, and, and God, a God, different God. type of battlefield, isn't it, when you come home? And so I'll, I'll take a, you know, DeAndre, thank you for your question. So oftentimes we we speak to the the difficulties of combat, but the reality is, is most of the individuals over the seven years, uh, arguably 10 years that our Veterans Treatment Court has been in existence, most of those individuals have never been deployed. Hmm. They are the victim of racism. They are the victim of military sexual trauma. They are the victim of, uh, of bullying. Um, and certainly uh, most recent with uh, change in policy, uh, allowing um, uh, gender identity and uh, any color of service, uh, any characterization of your sexual orientation, mm-hmm. um, allowing you in and then being faced with bullying. So whether it was back in the Jim Crow days and the, and the racism that, uh, that individuals were subjected to, we're dealing with those right now in our courtroom. So uh, what, I wasn't, what I didn't get into with detail is what makes you eligible. So if a veteran... Um, and would just use a hypothetical veteran who during basic training was subjected to uh, extremist views and racism and was internalizing that, being bullied, isolated, and then starts drinking um, and then gets discharged dishonorably because there was just, it was in, it was systemic. It was in the leadership and someone just didn't like the, either the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or their gender. Mm-hmm. That led to some mental health issues. They wanted to serve. They wanted to serve their country proudly, and they get dishonorably discharged because there were some ugly, you know, people in uniform that had uh, they were in positions of control. Then it creates bitterness and, and that, anger, and that it does. Right. And, and just like I'm certain, maybe many of the call or the listeners um, that they internalize that. And then it crosses the line with a criminal behavior. That drinking leads to a DUI. Mm. That anger leads to uh, a confrontation on the street with somebody and law enforcement gets involved. And then there's a resist without violence or a battery or something like that. That, DeAndre, is exactly what we are working in Veterans Treatment Court. Now, is it back in the... Jim Crow era. We're dealing with more, uh, more current service members, but there we had just yesterday um, a veteran who struggled for years uh, in Vietnam. He was a combat veteran mm. and uh, in and out of the criminal justice system, mm. never had those issues addressed. So I credit those with the vision. I said it earlier about how an idea can conquer mountains and Judge Russell up in Buffalo um, saw a trend. And so now we are trying to get a, you know, address that. And you know, you guys have evolved, uh, Judge, because I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, it used to just be first-time offenders. But now you've evolved to recognize, and you mentioned this, this Vietnam vet, he had problems, he had problems, now he's, you know, so he's obviously not a first-time offender, but you still took him. And, and, and respond to that, but I also want to jump over Wait, wait to, I have a really good sergeant. call, okay. Hold on, I've got a really call, okay, call we don't that, keep that will fit into everything you're talking about. I have Z in Lakeland. Z, thank you for your patience and waiting. Are you still there? I am, thank you. Sure. Uh, please ask the guys your question. Okay, I'm going to try to make this very succinct because I'm going back to 1978. My husband, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, Vietnam veteran, came out in 78 um, got involved with some people, was convicted, 
of uh, assault with a deadly weapon, which, you know, it's here, there, it's all kind of stuff going on there. But anyway, uh, did seven years of prison and now has that federal conviction hanging over him that is affecting a lot of very important things in his life. Um, He uh, was a U.S. Marine, served honorably, honorably discharged. Uh, four times Golden Gloves boxing champion, U.S. Marine Corps boxing. Um, But he can't get out from under the stigma of that conviction. Uh, And he has since been determined to have traumatic brain injury. Mm. And Heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And uh, everywhere we turn in the VA now, um, they seem to just want to, like, uh, drug him down or uh, do something to quiet him down when the fact is he needs legal intervention to get him out from under this federal conviction that I feel was wrongfully done because he was mentally affected. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Michael, is there anything that can be done for someone who's already been through the system but not through your court? I think that's what Z is asking. Yeah, so uh, for your for Z and for the other members of the audience, uh, we are at the state level. And uh, you know, your, the, what you describe, Z, uh, is uh, you know, your husband being at the federal level. And they don't have a Veterans Treatment Court program at the federal level. But they should. How well, ironic. Well, they don't. Uh, but I would say that Colonel Reyes and many others are working. We had, he and I had been talking for, year, uh, for many years about trying to establish, expand are what we have here that's working so well. The model's it, there already. It is. Yeah. Not, because not every, and, and I'll get to your, more to your question, Z, but just for a point, not every county in Hillsborough, in, in the state of Florida, even had a veterans treatment court. And there was a, 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 they weren't looking for one, but the legislature in 2021 mandated it. Nice. Good. Right? And Good. so now we have it in every, from Pensacola down to Monroe County, the Keys. Um, and every state now has a veterans treatment court. But again, they're at the state level. You have to have been charged with a state crime. Now, Z, to your point, if someone's exhibiting mental health issues, that's exactly what we do. Now, granted, that was some time ago. You're talking about 1978, right. I think you said, uh, or thereabouts. Um, and that's, unfor- that's a disservice to those many veterans who struggled. But we are, you know, we're trying to get and address those mental health issues so that individuals are not convicted. They're not even incarcerated because we are getting folks out of jail so that we can get them into treatment, have them on the road to recovery. So I at least wanted to make the distinction because when you're dealing with a federal court system and a federal conviction, that is very different than at the state level. And nobody knows that better than Mr. Dingfelder because he has handled as a criminal defense attorney, as an effective criminal defense attorney, he knows about seeking um, expungements at the state level, sealments at the state level, at the federal level, I, I can't, there's got to be a mechanism, but I'm going to, I know my limit of knowledge and experience. And I have, there, are, there are federal public defenders. You might want to reach out to them, Z, um, and maybe they can point you in the right direction. What state, Z, did oh, this occur in? Uh, Z isn't on the line oh, okay. anymore. I'm oh. so sorry. Well, Z, I'll speak. I think she's here because she called from. Uh, what, what, she's in Polk. Well, she's Z, in Lakeland. Z, yeah. Z, you can at least hear me. Find out what county or what state, rather, your husband was 
charged and convicted. I don't know if it was in Florida. If it was, hypothetically, if it was somewhere in the middle district, then you can reach out, as John pointed out, the public, the federal public defender's office in the middle district of Florida or the northern district of Florida or the southern. Every state in the country has a U.S. attorney's office and they have a federal public defender. So, for example, y'all moved down here and you retired, but in 1978, you were living in North Carolina, for mm-hmm. example. Go find the public defenders off the federal public defender's office in the state of North Carolina and inquire about how you can work to get your husband's charge uh, either um, expunged, uh, sealed, or addressed. I'd also reach out to your congressperson, uh, in Polk County. I don't know who that is Scott, right now. Well, well, probably Scott Franklin. Maybe, yeah. And, if you're in Lakeland, it would be Scott Franklin. That's another great point, John, because every congresswoman and congressman have a military affairs liaison. liaison. Yeah. So if you were to call the congressperson with whom's district you live, Z, call that office and ask to speak with their military liaison and say, this is my issue, I need help. It would be Congressman Scott Franklin, and he does, in fact, have an office. You are quick on the Google awesome. there. So yep. Congressman I know Scott? My, I know my CD, the CD-15. Listen, um, we only have another minute uh, or two. I just wanted to, in, in 30 or less seconds, uh, and I apologize, Sergeant Major, interesting question before. You went in in 73, and I can't help but think that you, you saw some racism, you experienced some racism very quickly. Uh, I don't want to leave that question unanswered. Absolutely. I went in in 73, and there was several things going on. Then there was the closure of Vietnam. So you had uh, the old Vietnam veterans that weren't feeling as appreciated. You had the racism that was being displayed in Vietnam. My first assignment was in Germany. You had the dynamics of the Europeans still having some issues with minorities over there. So, yeah, I did experience racism. But to the credit of our service, we grew past that. Mm-hmm. And if there is an example that our society could use is the model that we've done inside of our military. Uh, we recognized it. We didn't bury our heads in the sand. We addressed it, and we took measures to uh, fix it. Is it perfect? No. Gentlemen, we are so honored uh, here the day before Veterans Day to have you here uh, today. And thank Uh, you for all you do. Jesus, it's so fantastic. I wish we had more time to talk about the specifics. Maybe you'll come back. On behalf of Lynn Marvin Dingfelder, Jason Marlowe, we appreciate uh, Command Sergeant Major Dwight Brown, Colonel Michael, Judge Michael Shanti here to talk about Veterans Treatment Court. You can Google it up and find out a lot of information. There's contact information there. A shout out to Aaron Potter for setting this up today and all your staff, Michael, uh, that helps you uh, with your court. Thanks for all you do. It's just phenomenal. Gentlemen, thank you for coming. Thanks for allowing this.